Hi friends and welcome to Robcast number 39. This one is part two of the forgiving flow. This is part of a series on forgiveness, how to forgive as my friend Ianla says, how to forgive everyone for everything. So this is part two and it's called dropping the jawbone. And uh, in a moment we're gonna get to what the jawbone is and why it's important for you to drop it. Um, real quickly before we jump in, I'm assuming you're aware of the global goals um, globalgoals.org is the website. It's this group that have come together from a whole bunch of different places to work together. There are 17 goals, um, ending poverty, getting people clean water, education, healthcare, the list goes on. There are 17 of these goals, and it feels like unprecedented the number of people who are rallying around these goals to help take action to make life better for our brothers and sisters who need it desperately. So uh, I was just made aware of these. It's so compelling. I highly recommend going to the globalgoals.org uh, site and seeing what they're doing and how you can become involved. Now, the forgiving flow, part two, dropping the jawbone. Have you ever had somebody wrong you and you became consumed with getting them back? We even have these phrases, I'll show them who they're messing with, I'll settle the score, they won't do that to me again, or have you ever had somebody wrong you, and it's not like you're actively trying to do something bad to them, but the truth is, you're kind of waiting for them to suffer, or you hear about something bad happening to them, and something within you is like, I kinda, how did something bad happening to them make you feel good? Something within you says, ah, they had it coming. What goes around comes around. They deserved it. Serves them right. This is called revenge. Whether you're actively pursuing something that would harm them, whether you are trying to even the score, or whether you are simply waiting for something bad to happen to them in order to to somehow even the score with what they did to you, at least in your own mind, that's called revenge. So I want to talk about revenge, and I want us to go deep into the heart of revenge together. Because there are a number of truths about revenge, and when you are seeking revenge or waiting for revenge to come to them passively for you, but through somebody else. Somebody else becomes the instrument of your revenge. Either way, you are not free. And entering into the forgiving flow is about setting someone free and then finding out that it's you. So, here's what I want to do. I want to tell you an ancient story. It's found in the Hebrew scriptures. It's so primitive and barbaric and backwards and weird. I can't even believe it. Um, but I want to uh, give you like a recap of this story from the book of Judges because sometimes when you see it in its most primitive and barbaric form, it allows you a way in to understand the same impulses that are present within yourself. It's almost like sometimes you see the cartoon version and you laugh about how cartoonish it is, but the thing that it is merely a blown up version of you realize is present within you, you're just convinced it's much more sophisticated and sort of even maybe even subconscious, not even aware of it. 
So it's a story about a man named Samson, Samson and Delias, Delilah. Samson had the long hair. He was strong with the long hair. You cut his hair. He's not that strong. Okay. Now, the story begins, Samson took a young goat and went to visit his wife. He said, I'm going to my wife's room, which means he has one thing on his mind. Essentially, it's basically saying, I'm going to my wife's room, but her father would not let him go in. I was so sure you hated your wife, the father said, that I gave her to your friend. Isn't her younger sister more attractive? Take her instead. What? So you kind of have to suspend all of your more evolved notions of women's rights and marriage and sisters. It's a complete mess, okay? So let's suspend all that stuff and just... Samson goes to see his wife and her dad says, Oh, I thought you hated your wife. I gave your wife to your friend. Wouldn't you like her sister instead? Nuts! Bizarre! Now, Samson says, This time, I have a right to get even. All with the Philistines. Because her wife and family were Philistines. This time, I have a right to get even with the Philistines. I will really harm them. So notice how the revenge begins. This time, I have a right. Revenge bloats the ego. Revenge swells you up with pride and rights. Revenge is incredibly easy to offend. Oh, really? You did that? Well, this time, I have a right. I will really do some harm. So, Samson did what any one of us would have done. He went and caught 300 foxes and tied them tail to tail in pairs. He then fastened a torch to every pair of tails, lit the torches, and let the foxes loose in the standing grain of the Philistines. He burned up the shocks and standing grain together with the vineyards and the olive groves. So Samson believes he's been wronged, and so he sets out to get revenge. And he does it like any one of us would have done. He ties 300 foxes butt to butt, jams a torch between their butts, and I assume that foxes with their butts on fire don't like this and run very fast, and they run through the Philistines' grain, which is how they feed their families. So this is an, this is an act of economic terrorism, essentially. This is just devastating for their economy, for their food. Um, he lets these foxes tied butt to butt with torches burn everything in sight i know bizarre isn't it you cannot make this stuff up when the philistines asked who did this they were told samson the timnite son-in-law because his wife was given to his companion like yeah of course her her dad gave her to his friend and he was mad so that's why i did this so the philistines when they heard about this went up and burned her and her father to death. See what I mean by primitive and barbaric? It's just unbelievable. Samson said to them, since you've acted like this, I swear that I won't stop until I get my revenge on you. Samson, Samson said to them, since you've acted like this. Now, here's a huge thing about getting revenge. Samson's the one who just burned their whole country or town to the ground, correct? And yet what he's saying is, since you've acted like this, revenge bloats your ego. It makes us blind to what we've done to contribute to the situation. Revenge is only focused on what they did. 
and is often unaware of the blood on our own hands. So, Samson says, now I'm really going to get revenge. A group of people come um, and say to Samson, 3,000 men of Samson's own tribe come and say, do you realize what a mess you've started? And he says, I merely did to them what they did to me. I merely did to them what they did to me. Revenge always justifies itself morally. But the truth is you've lost your moral compass. See, there's a bunch of things that you don't do. You don't do because they're wrong, they're vicious, they're mean, they're nasty. There are things that you don't say. And yet when someone does that thing to you, the thing about revenge is it creates this weird justification for us to act and do things we would never normally do and act. Like that person did it to us and we consider it wrong, how come suddenly we think we're justified in doing the very thing that we say is wrong back to them? How is it that someone else's actions can so completely pull the rug out from under your own moral compass? Have you ever, have you ever said something about somebody? You would never normally say that. But somehow they wounded you to such a degree that you've thrown out your normal operating software where you would simply never do that. I merely did to them what they did to me. So then there's this another back and forth. It just keeps going back and forth. Then Samson gets tied up, but then he gets free and finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey, which we've all done from time to time. Finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey, Samson grabbed it and struck down a thousand men. Then Samson said, with a donkey's jawbone, I have made donkeys of them. With, with a donkey's jawbone, I have killed a, here's key, key to the whole story, I have killed a thousand men. Why do I say that? Because the story starts with him, his wife, his father-in-law. The story isn't even done, but at this point in the story where, where we leave off, he's killed a thousand people. Not to mention everything in between, including his wife being burned, her father being burned, a crop's vineyards, olive groves, started with just a couple of people, and now you're at a thousand. Now, the story is completely over the top. It's completely barbaric. It reflects such a different time and place. Because if anything, the Bible is honest. It just says this is how people are. This is how people were. This is how people saw the world. That's how people saw the world thousands and thousands of years ago. The reason why I read this primitive, barbaric story is because revenge is primitive and barbaric. Back and forth. You wrong them. They wrong you. They wrong you. So now you feel justified to wrong them, and we just... It goes back and forth and back and forth. Now, a couple key truths about revenge. First off, revenge always escalates. Think about it. That person said that thing about you. You said something then back, right? But you said something a little more heated, right? Because you wanted to win. I do. I want to win. They said that thing about me. I think through, now what could I say that's more cutting? 
that's more humiliating. Revenge never exists on a plateau. Revenge is never you score a point, then they score a point, then you score a point. Revenge is they score a point on you. All right, we're going to score four points right now on them. Revenge always escalates. Second, you know that you're stuck in the revenge vortex when you're unable to articulate the goal of your revenge. So here's what I mean. If we asked you, why do you want revenge? Most of us say, oh, because I want to get even. Really? How? How will you know when you've gotten even? What does even feel like? I was talking to a, a psychologist one time who we, we got on the subject of, forg- of forgiveness and revenge, and he said whenever he's working with somebody who wants to get revenge, he always asks them, how will you know when you've gotten revenge? What will it feel like? What is it you're hoping to accomplish by getting revenge? And how will you know when you've accomplished it and you're done? And what's really interesting, he says, Rob, I've never had somebody who wanted revenge who was actually able to answer those questions. Nope. He's like, I've never had one person who actually could clearly articulate how they will know when they've gotten revenge. We, uh, we say things like, well, I'm going to teach them a lesson. Okay, has this ever happened to you? Have you ever wronged somebody and then they wronged you back and you thought, what a wonderful lesson, what an excellent teaching moment. Did someone's violence or nastiness to you ever compel you to be a better person? Did somebody lashing out at you to get back at you ever open up your heart? Oh, the world really is a good place. Love really does win. No. The problem with revenge is it plants within us this desire for something that we'll never know if we've actually gotten it. Is this you? Are you holding out because you want to see them suffer? which is a totally normal human impulse. But here's the thing. Just pull the lid off it a little bit. How will you know when they've suffered enough? What will it look like? What will it taste like? What will it feel like? How would you ever know? Now, revenge not only escalates. Revenge, you know you've got a bad case of revenge when you really pull the lid back and realize, I have no idea what it is I actually am trying for. You just want to see them hurt? For how long? What's the duration? The intensity? How does that work? And then, thirdly, revenge keeps the pain and violence in circulation. Revenge always keeps the pain and violence in circulation. That's why this, the Samson story to me is so compelling. It's he does something, they do something. He does something back to them, they do something back to him. It keeps escalating. It starts with a couple people. It leads to the death of thousands. Back and forth, you to them, them to you. You know one of the ways you can see this? You can see this in family systems, offices, neighborhoods. You can see this between nations. Have you ever entered a, a system of some sort and something was off? Maybe you got hired in a new uh, business and you're trying to get acclimated and you realize something is off. Why did the people in finance not talk to the people in accounting? Maybe you're in a teaching situation. 
how come the English department is so standoffish? What is the deal between them and mathematics? You know what I mean? Have you ever had that? Or you married into a family and you're trying to figure out why does so-and-so seem so cold to so-and-so? Have you ever had that? You're, you're trying to map the territory and, you're, and you find out things like, well, because uncle so-and-so years ago said X to so-and-so and now those two, or yeah, it's because a while ago there was this thing and this, how many times have you discovered that there's like landmines everywhere? It's almost like you have to map the history to discover who wounded who went, what is it? It's what happens when revenge is kept in, and pain and violence is kept in circulation. Now, it may not be an overt form of revenge. See, revenge can be active. You're, you're going to say something, do something, acts of violence. They bombed us, we bombed them. But it can also be passive, cold shoulder, rolling of the eyes, distance, and not good healthy boundary distance, which we'll talk about in, in a later part of the series, but, but like the kind of distance that comes from condemning, the kind of distance that comes from contempt and disdain. See, revenge keeps the pain and violence in circulation. Maybe you're in one of those, one of those systems you've never thought about it as pain and violence, but it is somebody hurt somebody, somebody responded in kind, and it's like those grooves get worn deep, don't they? Where now whole systems are, are having to adjust to things that go way, way back. Uh, think about like Romeo and Juliet. I mean, we have a long history in art and literature and film of uh, somebody said something to somebody a long time ago. And now the whole pain and violence is just kept in circulation. Revenge is rooted in the myth of redemptive violence. Now, this idea of the myth of redemptive violence, we'll probably have to do a whole series on just that later at some point. But the myth of redemptive violence is the idea, it's the illusion, it's the lie that violence can redeem a situation. The myth of redemptive violence is the lie that you can redeem a situation with more evil. It's the delusion that you can make things right with more wrong. The myth of redemptive violence says they did that to us, well, we're going to go crush them and that will bring about peace. And the myth of redemption violence, it's in everything from cartoons to foreign policy. They bombed us, really? Well, we'll go bomb them, and then that will fix things. The myth of redemptive violence keeps the pain in circulation. It's the belief that violence can make the world better. It's the belief that violence can bring about peace. It does not work. You have massive systems that are kept in motion by this myth. If we just get a bigger army and go show them who's boss, then heaven will come crashing into earth. This at a personal level, at a national level, at a I mean it goes on and on and on. This by the way is why I believe the story of the cross has an enduring power way beyond the, even the Christian faith. It speaks to human beings. The story of the cross is about the end of violence. 
the story of the cross is essentially Jesus saying it stops here. When Jesus says it is finished, one way to understand it is finished is he takes the pain and violence out of circulation. See, the cross is a massive movement in the ongoing evolving consciousness of the universe because not that we've learned that much, but the myth of redemptive violence has been the engine of human history. Back and forth, back and forth, keep the pain and violence in circulation. Jesus comes to offer the world a new way, which is to end it, to stop it. And the only way to stop it is to bear it. Now, I'm not talking about somebody, uh, I'm not talking about a wife just taking the blows from an abusive husband. I'm not talking about you participating in degrading behavior. We'll talk about boundaries in another part. I'm talking about what happens when you decide that you are not going to keep the pain and violence in circulation. When you decide to forgive and when you decide not to pursue revenge, you are going to bear some level of pain. See, what happens when someone wrongs you is they hand you a wound and then revenge essentially refusing to hold it but to hand it back. And then they hand it back to you and then you hand it back to them. A bit like a snowball rolling down a hill, it just keeps getting bigger the more you pass it back and forth. Deciding to forgive is deciding not to pass it back to the other person, which means you have to hold it and essentially bear it at some level of the soul. And if you choose to absorb it rather than to allow it to remain in rather than allow it to remain in circulation, it will always make you bigger. You will have to make room in your heart. I've talked before about making room within yourself for the immensities of the universe. This is why, by the way, forgiveness always comes more naturally when you've done your own interior work. When you have learned to ground yourself in love and grace and the unconditional acceptance of the divine, or whatever word you want to use for it, the, when you have come to ground yourself in the forgiveness and love and grace, then you've already had to make room for your own darkness and your own brokenness. And so making room for the brokenness and pain and violence of others is something you're already in that flow. That's why forgiveness is a flow that you enter into. And this is why people you know who have forgiven, it always makes them bigger. And by bigger, I don't mean swelled and bloated. I mean, these are people who have taken something and instead of just passing it back, which keeps you small, they've allowed their insides to open up. They've allowed themselves to make room for the immensities of human pain and suffering and all the thousands of ways we inflict harm upon each other. So how do you surrender the desire for revenge? You drop the jawbone. Do you have a jawbone? Are you like Samson standing there going, oh yeah? Well, since they did that to me, I'll show them. You drop the jawbone. You say, no, I'm not going to keep this in circulation. Now, when you do this, to do this, the thing about revenge is revenge says, they did this to me, and now it is my job to inflict things on them to make the situation right. See, the thing about revenge is revenge roots justice in you. Revenge is when you've decided that you are the justice system 
that has to play out than when it's up to you to right this wrong. See, there's a degree to which you are acting like the world is a courtroom and they have done a crime and it is your job to convict and to punish and to sentence. I'm not very good at that and neither are you. So central to the act of dropping the jawbone, of refusing to keep longing for revenge, of saying I'm not going to seek revenge, is you have to surrender this person. You have to turn them over to God, higher power, universe, justice, supreme being, however language you want to use. Central to being free is trusting and entrusting this person to powers beyond yourself. Because revenge is saying, it's up to me. I am the ultimate power here, so I'm going to have to make the situation right. I'm going to have to act to bring about justice here. It's exhausting, and you're not very good at it. Now, the second you start talking like this, there are people who are like, yeah, well, well, I just want to make sure that they hurt a little bit. Really? Here's the thing. Hurt people hurt people. They're already in their own hell of their own making. The person who wronged, we don't wrong people out of a place of peace, love, joy, contentment. Think about the times when you've said things or hurt to people or you've hurt people or you've purposely betrayed them. Were you in a good place? You were miserable. You were a wreck. There's nobody who's happy who's going around hurting people. It always came from a place of wound within yourself. So when we have this desire for revenge and someone says, or we're presented with the idea of just give up the right to revenge, just no more revenge, we think, yeah, well, I want them to be miserable. They're already more miserable than you could ever make them. That's why they hurt you in the first place. This is why this line of Jesus on the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Do you see the bigness in that line? It's when you begin to move outside of just you and them and this incredibly narrow focus and you begin to see them in a larger landscape. They hurt you because they're a mess. You are simply heaping on the pain. When you are in a dark place, when you are wounded, when you are limping, when things aren't right with you, does it help for someone to heap on more pain, confusion, violence, misunderstanding, toxicity, destruction? Did it help you at all? Did it at all help you become a more loving, less violent person? No, it never helps. So central to dropping the jawbone is calling out within yourself your own desire to essentially play God and bring them into the <laughs> divine tribunal where you're going to bring about judgment. Don't try all that. It's so exhausting and you're not very good at it. They're already miserable. You surrender them. You turn surrender them. You turn them over. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And then one last thought. If you can't bless this person who has wronged you, if you can't wish them well, if you can't celebrate good things happening to them, then you 
are in some ways still holding out for revenge. If somebody wronged you and you hear about something bad happening to them, something within you celebrates, that's revenge. Good, they had it coming. You know that you are coming to the end of your forgiveness journey with something someone did to you. You know that you are taking part in the flow when you can actually wish them well. Now, I assume for some of you, just that idea is like inconceivable with certain people. That's fine. You're on the, if you're on the front end of the process, totally get how that seems impossible. Maybe you're just at the tomorrow, I would like to think less about killing them. Got it. We'll celebrate every tiny little step of forgiveness because forgiveness is a process and sometimes it's just getting less and less and less angry with them so that you can begin to think of the dynamics that are in play. But for the process to be fully fleshed out, you move to this place where you can bless them and wish them well. Now, now, maybe you have no contact with them. We'll talk about that. You can love people from a distance. Some people have wronged you and you're never gonna talk to them again, but you'll still forgive them. We'll talk about some of those distinctions in a f future part, but blessing them and wishing them well is one of the ways you know that you're not holding out for revenge because revenge is insidious. It can just sit sort of this latent virus in your bloodstream, just waiting. Sometimes you haven't even realized it until all of a sudden you hear about something that happened to them and it brings you an inordinate amount of satisfaction. You might know what I'm talking about, something bad happened, you're like, oh, nice. And then you realize, whoa, where did that come from? And you realize it's because they wronged you and you've just been quietly waiting. You are not free if when you hear about ill, or destruction or something bad happening to them and something within you finds that satisfying. If bad happening to somebody makes you feel good, then you are not free. And entering into the forgiving flow, forgiving everybody for everything is about you setting someone free and then finding out that it's you. So may you drop the jawbone. May you, if you are in a situation in which it just keeps escalating, may you drop the jawbone and diffuse the situation. May you take the pain and violence out of circulation. May you absorb it rather than allow an endless back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And in the process, may you make room within yourself for the immensities of your own brokenness and the brokenness of others. May you see this person who has wronged you as somebody who is hurting. May you see them within a larger landscape. May you surrender them as you forgive them. And then may you bless them, knowing that you're no longer holding out for revenge because you are free. And may grace and peace be with you.